this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Be Real is presented by California College of the Arts MFA in Writing Program. Getting an MFA at their art school setting in San Francisco means you can paint and write, design and write, and make a film and write. You can also just write. Look for their faculty member Leslie Carroll Roberts' critically acclaimed Here is Where I Walk, Episodes from a Life in the Forest, out now from University of Nevada Press, and Adam Nemetz, We Can Save Us All, from Unnamed Press. For more information, power on your computer and visit cca.edu slash writing MFA. You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal but for once in your life Welcome one and all to a movie reviewing, reappraising, and genre hopping podcast on the Playlist Podcast Network. This is Be Real. My name is Chance Solon Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. And we are together. Yeah, we're in the same room. My God, what a pleasure. Isn't that always exciting? It's so exciting. This happens maybe like twice a year. Maybe. And the episodes in general are the same or worse. What do you mean? Oh, the, our rapport in them because we're in the same room? I actually think the rapport is better, but I think sometimes we don't know what to do with the intensity. There's a certain power knowing that I could just like hang up on you at any moment <laughs> and just dismiss you from my existence. Uh, right now, though, I'm stuck with you, and we like have to continue talking even after we stop recording. Like a distant father just banishing me into the voids of space. Am I your Tommy Lee Jones? Am I your Matthew McConaughey pushing books in your apartment being like, stay? You know, the entire internet has made the sad Astro, bad Astro, Brad Astro jokes. But we're here to talk about what, Noah? What's our particular spin on this joke? Sad dadstra. There we go. So it's sad dads, dot, 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 in space. That's right. As always, we're thrilled to be on the Playlist Podcast Network with shows like uh, The Discourse and Fourth Wall. Subscribe on your podcatcher of choice, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, what have you. And thanks to... California College of the Arts is writing MFA program for their continued generous support. That's somewhere you should get your MFA. Yes. Go. Absolutely. Great faculty, great alumni. But we're going to talk about Ad Astra to open things up. We must. A movie getting rapturous reviews. People are talking about Oscars for Brad Pitt. It's the year of Pitt. People are talking about him maybe getting two Oscar nominations. Incredible. Does, has that ever happened? Should we look it up? This is the kind of thing that people want to know. It last happened with Kate Blanchett in 2007 for Elizabeth and I'm Not There, but it has to be main and supporting. You can't get nominated for two. Well, he wouldn't. Right. Because he's starring in... Well, maybe he get supporting for in Hollywood right. and lead for this. It happened with Jamie Foxx, Ray and Collateral. Oh, Collateral's incredible. I watched that recently. That movie's insane. It's amazing. 
Uh, Emma Thompson, Remains of the Day and In the Name of the Father. Holly Hunter, Piano in the Firm. Interesting. I'll go nuts for the firm. Pacino, Scent of a Woman, Glengarry Glen Ross. Jessica Lang, Francis and Tootsie. It's happened. Interesting. So it could happen again this year. Well, maybe. Yeah. Not after my damning review. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's also kind of the movie that, like, threatens to to crown James Gray. Like, a uh... Who? <laughs> you a dummy. Um... <laughs> Uh, you know, like a, a mainstream director beyond, you know, he's, he's just below the surface for like film nerds. Are like, I love James Gray, but no, I come on. No, he's never seen another James Gray film. So his opinion is super valid. <laughs> um, okay. But uh, should we set this movie up? It's crazy out there. There's fires everywhere and plane crashes. They're calling it the search. Major. We have some highly classified information. What can you tell us about the Lima project? Its objective was to search for advanced extraterrestrial life. The ship disappeared approximately 16 years into the mission. And the commander was? He was my father, sir. This might come as quite a shock to you. Your father was experimenting with a highly classified material that could threaten our entire solar system. All life would be destroyed. We're counting on you to find out what's happening out there. Brad Pitt's just uh, hanging out on the big satellite antenna thing coming off of Earth and gets knocked off of it by this electrical surge. It turns out the surge was sent out by or from where they believe exists a secret the who who's ever left of the secret research mission to go to neptune to figure out if there's extraterrestrial life outside our galaxy for lima some projects. reason the lima project and the lima project was uh captained by brad pitt's father tommy lee jones h clifford mcbride yeah the mcbride family great name it is a great name and this is also like kind of an interesting like Important American families film. Yeah. Because um, people have reverence for the son because of the father, for better or worse. Right. Um, but the military reaches out to him and they're like, hey, we think it's your dad, like, shooting death rays at the earth. Like, we need to send you out there to deliver a message to him because if we're going to appeal to his emotions or something, it would be best coming from his son. Mm-hmm. So then we follow Brad Pitt traveling commercially <laughs> from earth to mars which involves a layover in sort of like flying from the east coast to the west coast you inevitably stop in chicago o'hare so yeah, the, the moon, moon is, is now is now o'hare and he then catches a smaller flight to mars right where you can make contact yeah with and i could space. probably end my and then it's like Heart of Darkness, him trying to find his dad who's like out by neptune yeah his dad is the colonel kurtz figure yeah um so from the jump this is i mean it's a james gray movie it's quiet it's meditative um brad pitt is very understated some of the most understated work you've seen him do um his understatement though is not terribly subtle like there's this voiceover from the beginning where he's like i feel nothing what (laughs) I wish I, I had human say, feelings. I should say the acting is is yeah, understated, but yes. Yeah, but it of, is definitely has the the um 
the structure around it of the positioning this... of his interiority is actually very loud i think yeah. that's what you're it has the scaffolding of a pretty heinous voiceover yeah i've seen people be like you know i could take or leave the voiceover i was like guys the i think the voiceover is the movie the voiceover it's is how we know the character the it's so much of the important scenes of the movie are just like listening to brad pitt talk do do basically it's mimicking self-therapy and this and these ongoing psychological checks he has to pass with the computer right which is very good at pa- which he's very good at passing um i would argue i would say the the best recurring acting we see him do is carrying forth this reputation of an expert astronaut whose heartbeat never gets above what 80 beats per minute Something like that. even and when he was see, falling like face first from this antenna that's half into space you see terrible things like that happening you yeah. see uh lunar pirate attacks we'll talk a little more about oh lunar, God, lunar, pirates lunar pirates later but then you see him you know report back and be like everyone's dead the mission continues and <laughs> everyone's like, dead i feel nothing test. mission continues yeah <laughs> psychological tests not only passed but aced yeah good work mcbride yep um he's very good at that there are some there's some really good things played on his movie star persona here and some things i think don't that don't work quite as well um what do you mean before we i mean i don't know do we want to like get right at the theme uh sure how does or not how does space? How does space strike us? How does? Do you want to talk about the world? I think yeah, the world. I think is an important thing to wrap one's head around when one is analyzing any sort of science fiction, you know. And I think for me, the importance with all these movies to just have that initial suspension of disbelief is: does it make sense that this space program is happening? Mm-hmm. And for this one, I think it's the one that makes maybe the most sense. Because there's an immediate threat of, like, there's this death ray being shot at Earth. And, like, we're going to give you a nuke and, like, send you out into the wilds and see if you can fix this. Otherwise, we're all fucked. Right. And so, like, that feels like, okay, this space mission makes sense. Whether or not the worlds in which this mission exists makes a lot of sense. You know, the idea that... um, That Tommy Lee went out there? Yeah, that Tommy Lee initially went out there to, like, find... I don't know. It doesn't have that justification that, like, why would people spend money on this? Like, why would the government fund what is clearly, like, a very expensive mission with antimatter if there wasn't some immediate threat? But I guess you can sort of put climate change in and fill in the blanks yourself. I guess that I think that's kind of the conceit of, like, all these yeah. movies. They're like, we all know Earth is deteriorating, right? Here's two minutes of that. And now I think the look of the movie is pretty great, though. Brad Pitt certainly, like, looks. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just love the the white tennies and the white sweats and the white shirt. Especially juxtaposed on the with the dirt of, of Mars, the red dirt. Yeah, I like that the Mars, I mean, as sort of like, you know, it doesn't make logical sense, but it doesn't have to. The look of the Mars base is very much that of a sauna. Um, oh, yeah. Which is cool. It is cool. Um, and the fact that, like, they have a lot of stuff built there, but it's all kind of shitty, which, like, sort of rang true that, like, how difficult it must be to construct anything on Mars. Right. Uh, but yeah, I liked this, the, this construction of it, the set design a lot. Definitely. It's the first of two movies we're talking about today that, where the DP is, uh, Hoyte von Hoytema, uh, who also shot... Space is his bag. Also shot Interstellar. And you definitely have the... There's not a lot of... I mean, I don't know why there would be. It doesn't have the kinetics of a movie like Gravity, which is, I think, the truly amazing thing about... 
Quaron and like the way that movie feels when you especially when you're in Sandy Bullock's uh first person. Um but the the definitive painterly quality of like here's a black hole swirling like the coolest screensaver you've ever seen and like here's this little tin can inching toward it is something that is repeated beautifully right. in both this and Interstellar. Right. And it feels grounded enough in the technology that you don't have to suspend too much disbelief with that. Like, we'll talk about it with Interstellar, but, like, the robots and just, like, the construction of the space vehicles is, like, so odd to me. Right. That it you have to, like, consider a different world entirely existing before you can believe this movie could be, like, the future. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, this one is very... It feels very real and sort of gritty, and that's nice. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe if I can turn towards my bigger critique of this movie... We got gripes. Is that the like narrative doesn't make a lot of sense and doesn't really add up to a Joseph Conradian critique of like humanity in the era of space travel? I think it is a, it is strange and maybe a little easy that James Gray is coming out and saying this is this is heart of darkness in space because it's missing some crucial parts of the right. heart of darkness parable and things that make a heart of darkness adaptation interesting i think yes yeah yeah not just to like you know check your boxes right i'm not talking about tropes here i'm just talking about the heart of darkness is all about not only this man alone in the wilderness or whatever but it's also about the people he's seduced mm-hmm. and like the beliefs that he espouses and how those are somewhat applicable to the fatalism of the way humanity exists or something yeah and this movie sort of has that, but also it's just about two dudes being stuck like by themselves in space. There's one moment I think where, and we'll try to avoid spoilers here until the end. We'll give you a warning. Um, where Brad Pitt says, my father would have called us world eaters, which seems to indicate a curtsy and idea about like what man does when you know set upon the reaches of nature sure consume 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 that is not a theme that is drawn out any further if you were not aware of the external forces that exist in our world that are seeking to maybe destroy livability on this planet this movie doesn't give you any like additional op-ed about consumerism or something or like how wasteful we are you don't get the uh you know, the barge sailing down the Thames, which is the first right. 20 pages of Heart of Darkness. Right. It's like, look what London hath wrought. You don't have that in this movie. Absolutely another not. another key part of the parable. Yes. Yeah, you need that kind of like, things are shitty here on Earth right. kind of thing. I mean, even, you know... Like mediocre a, times. These are mediocre <laughs> times, or these are like horrible times. Right. Like, the other movies posit more, I think, that like on Earth, these are horrible times. Right. Um... But yeah, this so maybe that sort of narrative urgency doesn't exist beyond the sort of Michael Bay of it all. Like, we have to stop the guy with the laser beam or yeah. else. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the dads and sons of it all. Oh, my God. Like, you, we were joking for, I think we built this movie up too much. Um, we certainly did. For weeks in advance. I mean, as we often do for movies where we know we're going to see together because yeah, it's yeah, so yeah. few. But it's like, oh, we're going to hold each other in the theater. We're going to, you made a great joke that was like, we're going to like lean over and whisper like, Tommy Lee Jones is like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I don't think there was a lot of that. No. 
and I think that part of that was expectation. And I think that part of that is, if I'm being honest, and I, I, I like film critics. I like reading film criticism. But to say, like, this is a movie that I've just discovered is actually about fathers and sons and the meaning of legacy and, you know, killing your darlings if your darling happens to be your dad. Saying that as though you've discovered it is like saying, I think Kramer vs. Kramer might be a movie about divorce. Like, right. all... Oh, Obviously, come on. The whole movie is right. it's so in your face. It's so like it does. There is dialogue where it's like the sins of the father must be suffered by the son. I am the son, and in case you forgot this, and then guy Marlon my Brando's father. face comes yeah. up from spy from the first Superman. Yeah, there needs to be more talking in this movie. Yes, Brad Pitt has to talk to more people to draw out the ways in which his like white male privilege still has power right. to tell us more about the universe to tell us more about what as you said seduction means for everyone involved to give Ruth Nega who is the station commander on Mars anything to do right Why other than like link disparate plot points together and I will say, I don't think we've talked about this because I, I don't think you've seen it, but this is a movie that resembles Lost City of Z in many ways. It's about many of the same things. Uh, you know, Charlie Hunnam is Charlie Hunnam is the Clifford McBride character in Lost City of Z. Um, what's his name? Percy Fawcett, this British explorer who goes deep into the Amazon, like looking for uh, uncharted ways in which people have invented language and religion and all these things. And in the third act of that movie, his son, Tom Holland ends up going with him. And there is this sort of like sacrificial, like dad hasn't been great, but also like he's always been my North star for better or worse. Um, it's very, does it sound like I'm describing a pretty similar movie? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's the same. And it's, I think it's much better in Lost City of Z. Or Lost well, there's City just not enough of Brad Pitt like not being cool with how much everybody goes nuts for his dad or something, or like his own complicated feelings with being the legacy of this man. Other yeah. than like when the movie needs it, but you need more scenes at the beginning where you know they're. It's like he's like part of the paparazzi or something, or like people are taking pictures of him or something that makes him uncomfortable. Yes, but there's no point where he really is nor do you really understand save for like a few of these like terrence malicky kind of like flashback uh, whatever he was a baby he was a baby and a mother held him as a baby and then you know tommy lee jones was in this black and white photo which doesn't make any sense if this movie's in the future um oh yeah that was a good smackdown you laid i mean i will probably end up watching this again because i always get suspicious of like what am I missing when all these people that I like and respect yeah. think this movie is amazing? But I don't like a movie that like hits me over the head with themes so hard. And if I cannot discover, if there, if there is no onus on me as the viewer to like discover theme, then it's just like, okay, you're just, just talking at me. There's a great line late in the movie where they're looking at some of the some of what Tommy Lee Jones, Clifford McBride, may have discovered. And these kind of beautiful, like, etchings of, you know, uh, lifeless wasteland, but beautiful planets. And they lay it down with a line, uh, at the end of the day, like, my dad could only see what was not there. Which I think is a beautiful line, but case in point, the line immediately after is it, it is, but he missed what was right in front of him. It's like, stop spelling it out. Yeah, you only need so the first half of that you only line. Only the first half of that line. Yeah, because, like, 
the movie introduces these flashbacks, both of his childhood and of this relationship that he had with Liv Tyler, who like doesn't have more than one or two lines in the movie. And it's just sort of like his fantasy of her. Um, Seems to be the victim of reshoots. Yeah. The, there was a lot of reshooting and Oh, you think she had a bigger part and they've... You said that in the trailer she delivers a line about the surge. In the theatrical trailer, she's the one who's saying the reason you got knocked off the space antenna was this thing they're calling the surge. And it almost seems like Donald Sutherland is hilarious in this movie. Um, But it's almost like he got cut out early. Right. Too. Or maybe he didn't. Maybe that's like he's supposed to have these sort of like five chapters with these different people. Um don't you feel like this movie has these like great thematic ambitions, but at the same time, when you look at the plot of it, like him meeting the space operator on Mars, him interacting with those the, the crew of that other ship and the, the Mayday search that they do, yeah. like all of that really doesn't add up to much thematically. And then they kind of have to rush to be like, it's about you know everything we've just been talking about. Right. Yeah, like you would hope that you could find more depth in the detours but then there aren't enough detours and then the ones that they do have should we you want to lay down a spoiler warning here yeah if you don't want spoilers go ahead like five minutes or something i liked the the violent mandrills baboons you did not but then again i think you do not have to have brad pitt say I saw the rage in the eyes of those primates that are just like man, which is the same rage that I feel. It's like, we get it. We're animals that have been shot into space and isolated. And what, you know, emotional strangulation does that lead to? Stop spelling it out. And the Lunar Pirates detour makes no sense. The Lunar Pirates, I don't know if we, do we even need to unpack like how ridiculous that is? So while he's driving from the commercial Moon O'Hare station to the military, it doesn't make sense to me either why this, these buildings were built so far apart. You think getting from one to the other would kind of be the point. But anyway, they have to drive through this treacherous valley that has like other people on these goofy, like, uh what's it called um diamonds are forever space thing rovers yeah the little rover thing uh and they're like chasing at each other with slow speeds and they have like energy guns or something and it's stupid and it seems like that was just added to like give the movie some sort of like "Ah!" fox got worried yeah i guess and that the baboons also felt like that was a similar but then, like, if you cut that out, you don't really have much of the movie. But, like, what allegory are moon pirates or these, like, space-raptured monkeys? Like, what does that have to do with anything about being dads or, like, being white guys or, like, whatever? If you don't get to talk to a moon pirate, if you don't get to talk to an interstellar zoologist... Yeah. People gotta talk to each other. People have to talk to you. There's not enough, like, scenes where there's people in this movie... Are we missing the point? Is it that men don't talk to each other and that's our biggest problem and that's why we can't Come make a on. satisfying movie? <laughs> Got two guys talking to each other right now. We got it on tape. If any if we've gotten any trenching critiques, it's that this is too much talking. Indeed. Quiet down, you two. Yeah. Um <laughs> So Yeah. I think Brad Pitt and Tommy Lee are good. I think yeah. the, there's some good in this movie. But it feels to me like the acting that Tommy Lee is doing 
where you should be kind of, you know, with bated breath to see whether this is man or myth. We sure. meet at the end of this movie. And then the fact that he has, um, you know, lunar craters for eye bags when you meet him <laughs> and he's just like, I never loved you. I never loved your mom. <laughs> um, and Brad Pitt says, I know, dad. Uh, like hurts, but I, you need, I think, I think you need real build yeah. in order to make that undersell hit. He need, but he doesn't have the, the horror, the horror. Like right. he doesn't have that moment and he needs to, like we've, we've journeyed this whole movie to see Tommy Lee Jones. And I just don't think his appearance and reveal and like what he's discovered, which is nothing. Uh, is that interesting? I think it can still be nothing. I think it's okay if you take away sure. his horror moment from us, but it's but it will only work if we feel like we are building to that. And you're like, just give me what I want, and then in an interesting way, it doesn't. But right. I just kind of feel like I wasn't getting what I wanted for a lot. Of I it. feel like I kind of knew going in that I wasn't going to get anything exciting when we got there, and then we didn't get anything exciting. It was like, well, I got what I thought what I was going to get, and that's not exciting cinema. I do love the. What'd you call it? Boogie boarding on the door through the rings of Neptune. Incredible. Loved that. Good looking. A beautiful. I love. It's great to watch Brad Pitt be sad. This is a category of like very beautiful men. Being we also talked about too the idea that do you think Brad Pitt is this is the way he reconciles his deteriorating relationship with Angelina Jolie the way that she probably did with By the Sea. Yeah, we boldly claim this was just his By the Sea. This is by the by Neptune. Yeah, um, I mean that's somewhat interesting too to see his evolution. The idea that like once upon a time in Hollywood is like his sort of positioning that he's still sexy and you don't quite know what happened to his ex wife. Yeah, you know, and then this one's more of like, but I have love to give. These are the two sides of the new him. These are the two like sexy and mysterious and also like deeply feeling, but ultimately too stoic for his own good when all the all the recent profiles he's done in gq and the times like they have absolutely connected the like and so how do you get over your alcoholism and your like ideas of what it is to be a man but again i almost feel like that is too easy like this the themes of this movie are too easy um and i think in to honor the fact that I'm here with you and the fact that we have talked and thought about this movie a lot. Um, I think by our rating system, it might be bad, bad. <laughs> it might be bad Astra as Twitter likes to say. It might be bad Astra. Um, I think that this one, I'll give a sort of a generous. Don't make me look like the radical of the two of us. I might give it a good, bad. Oh, I My think it God. like is a technically well-made movie. I just think what my complaints are about it detract from its rewatch value and its entertainment value. Like I'll rewatch um, Apocalypse Now if infinite, infinitely. I don't. I'm. I'm. This one I don't think I need to see again. Okay. I also want. To, I would. I would like to not be a madman trapped on the edge of space. I would also give it a good bad. No, you already said it was bad bad. No, let me do it. No, I've already closed the space hatch. Your your bad bad is the only thing that Did remains you have blood of you. Out of my eyes. Yeah, you've you've Miguel Ferrer yourself. <laughs> I guess I don't understand how the loudness of a theme is going to get better on rewatch. 
like for instance, we're going to talk about High Life in a little bit. High Life was a movie that like I didn't quite know what to make of it the first time I saw it, and like why would anyone? Right, <laughs> yeah, such, yeah. It's a movie that benefits rewatch because you see there are more textures, right? But I don't quite know. At least this one had the modesty to not like have you know Mars be actually like an alien face or something, a la Mission to Mars. Like that would have been super annoying. You heard it here first. Ad Astra is better than Mission to Mars. It definitely is better than Mission to Mars, which I think is like a two out of five. Uh, but maybe a bad good. We were disappointed in this movie. I was disappointed, but I think that's, as you said earlier, Chance, I think that's part of the hype of it that it's getting. I try not to interact with with reviews before I've seen something, but sometimes it's hard to you know, live in the world. And, I don't, and we saw this movie on opening day. Right. And we were still disappointed by it. And I think we're both wide open for feeling feelings about Papa's. Oh, yeah. And I'm we trying to understand my white dad. <laughs> me too. I don't feel... I feel like my dad probably loves me and my mother and my little brother. What's up, Nate? Yeah, mine too. <laughs> um, well, Ad Astra... Sorry, you mysterious beast. A good badstra. A good badstra. <laughs> you want to talk about high life? We were scum. Trash. Refuse that didn't fit into the system. Until someone had the bright idea of recycling us to serve science. Data. The odds are not in our favor. But when my work is accomplished, when perfection is achieved, then what? Fly away? Dada. I know I look like a witch. You're Foxy and you know it. This mission can't turn our shame into some type of glory. I can't do this flying around no more. You lied to us. You knew it. The sensation moving backwards even though we're moving forwards getting further from what's getting nearer it's a movie that came out in what april it's uh the first english language film from french filmmaker claire denis uh it did a small bit of business it was an a24 film lots of good reviews um i could imagine Lots of people going in being like, ah, space adventure, being horrified uh, by it. Lots Myself people, included. But lots of, I warned you what it would be like. You did tell me to steal myself here at 9.30 in the morning when we put this movie on. Boat Travail, Trouble Every Day, 35 Shots of Rum. These are other beloved films of hers. Let the Sun, Let the sun Shine In, another Juliette Binoche picture, uh, I believe came out just last year. Um, so... From the jump, I do kind of like the trio we have today of, in terms of, like, how and where they, like, position themselves as related to 2001 A Space Odyssey. And, like, what is their self-concept as challenging art films? Because I feel like that's something that, um, where that sneaks into Nolan's Interstellar can be a little, like, goofy and charming because he is still the maker of The Dark Knight. Where that sneaks into Ad Astra, I find a little frustrating, and I kind of, I like 
at least in this trio, that high life just, like, forces me into the acceptance of, like, like a good, you know, more artistic film would of, like, I, I'm not going to feed you answers. Go find the theme. It's not going to be in the narration. Right. Something That's something I think is good about this movie. It is intentionally obscure, if that's what you're saying. It's exactly right. Um, and I like a movie that's comfortable with that. As but there's a certain to... line, I think, between lazy world building and art house obscurity that maybe this movie like is both aware and unaware of. You know, we were talking immediately when it ended. There's this sort of ridiculous back on earth professor being interviewed by graduate student that sort of does the heavy lifting of like why these people are on this space box. Yeah, that film. This is the second time I've seen this movie. That was a goofy scene both times yeah the camera like zooms back toward a moving train and this professor's like i am deeply troubled by the fact that these prisoners are being sent into space and they're not coming home <laughs> like whoa all right yeah and then we like never hear from this professor again also i don't know if that's like i i don't believe why would i not believe that the prison industrial complex would extend to sending people to space i'll believe it if they it, put this on a ballot initiative right now it would pass, like launching Death Row. It would be closer than we'd science. like it to believe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if people, if the death penalty passes, I believe people would talk themselves into this being better. Sending them out into space. But yeah, they are on a mission. We'll, we'll do a spoiler section for this one as well, since it's pretty new. Uh, they're on a mission. You know, it eases their... Two missions. Two missions to... Well, they're exploring the black hole, yeah. which is plan A. Right. Well, not plan A. Initiative A. Yep. Initiative B is to figure out if you can fertilize pe- human babies in space. The thing about that is, so Juliet Binoche plays Dr. Dibbs, which is a horrifying name for her character. <laughs> um, the thing that I think is really interestingly vague about the movie is, I don't know if Initiative B is a sanctioned initiative. Sure. Although it must the, be there's a, a lot of, of equipment. There's a lot of equipment and, and also like the other box that they find is clearly like a veterinary one. So it's conceivable that this is a real initiative. Okay. But maybe like not a public initiative. Right. It's very rapey and like ultimately devolves just into just, you know, textbook garden variety rape. But I think what's not in the movie is like the interesting part. Mm, I don't agree. Okay. I mean, I think that would I would watch that. Hell yeah, bring it sure. on. Um, but that'd make a more watchable movie and less of like Robert Pattinson being like, "This is me acting not in Twilight." This, you you got to tread a fine line here in criticizing Robbie P because Noah's one of those people who's on Twitter being like, "Isn't that the guy from Twilight?" Hasn't seen. I've Good never Time. hasn't seen slammed City him on Twitter. How dare you make such an accusation, you may, sir? But you said these things to me this morning. That's not the, the same thing as Twitter. Is this the that same was a thing private, as Twitter? This is the same thing as Twitter, but that was a private conversation. You want to lay off and restage this? No. He's fine with it. He actually likes being attacked. It's true. <laughs> but Robert Pattinson, I think, is good in this movie. I think that, I think that really quiet focus that could easily be construed as, you know, like a sedated boredom in something like Twilight that makes him you know, very bad, which makes him made him in some ways like the heir to Hayden Christensen in the <laughs> in the late aughts there in that role, um, is a lot better when it's when you're just like, let's watch him. 
which is what this new wave of movies he's in are doing. You know, he's hiding under a beard in Lost City of Z. He is the heart attack at the center of Good Time. Like, just put the camera on him and let... I'll have to see Good Time. You've got to see it. It's so good. It's one of the best movies of 2017. It looks... Is it fucked up, though? I don't like... Sometimes I I like something light. It's not light. (laughs) Okay. That's my reticence. It's a heart attack. This movie is much better at playing with his uh, innate charisma versus what the movie is asking him to do because the movie is telling him to stand still but his innate charisma is actually kind of scary like you the the he's way too good at bludgeoning people if you notice oh yeah um like even when he's like trying to keep the peace there's a lot of bludgeoning happening yeah he's, um, he keeps the peace like pretty aggressively uh and while there are not a ton of illuminating conversations, there are some like great lines here or there about like what turns him on, and like he believes in his own chastity because of what he thinks is vanity. Um, he flirts with Mia Goth a little bit. Um, mostly, you just get to see him take care of a child. Uh, That's definitely the most compelling part, I would say, is him baby acting. And he's really good at it. He is really good at it in a way that like you'd think he, maybe Pattinson is a good babysitter. You would. Uh, there's an especially great part early on where, you know, he's talking, the baby's crying and he's like, you have to stop. It's going to kill me. Okay. You have to stop. It's going to kill me. And the baby stops, which is good baby acting. It's great baby acting. Where do you get a baby actor like that? (laughs) Right. Can we just do all normal babies? What's that baby actor into next? More baby acting. Um, yeah, he's very still, but he seems, I believe the whole time that he's capable of the terrible things that this character has done and might do again. And that also compounded with um, the isolation of the ship might make him a scary father to what happens in the future part of this movie. Oh, you mean when this movie turns into room in space? Yeah. Yeah. Again, like I don't feel there are some great baby scenes, but I don't feel like there's enough baby scenes to make it maybe as compelling as there's something. Fifteen minutes of baby scenes. What do you want? No, but well, are we doing spoilers now? No, we gotta talk more. Okay. Well, we're we like the baby Buck scenes. Buck? There's a lot of like baby scenes in a very specific period in the baby's life. I see what you're saying. Yeah, is what I'm saying. You could have used. Like, ages five through eight. And then, so my other issue with this movie is that it, like, suddenly remembers about halfway through. Like, I, I think it's an interesting, medi- like, meditative kind of movie about, like, grow, like, just how organisms behave in space. I think So you have, like, the thing. people and you also have, like, how watching this garden that they've planted, like, totally take over the ship. Overtake the people in many ways. And overtake the people. And then it becomes, like, part of their habitat. Like, there's a sort of interesting thing where one character passes away. No spoilers. And they are just, like, visually subsumed by the the dirt. It's interesting. But I think when this movie's just like, "Uh uh-oh, we're a a mid-budget space movie. And then you have these sort of, like, oh, by the way, there's the black hole that we need to figure out. And then there's some sort of like space drama. That's when this movie's a little hokier. What about you want to talk about the fuck box before we spoil it? Or do you consider that to fall within spoiler territory? I think the fuck box is definitely a spoiler. <laughs> All right, hang on for high life spoilers. Go, Noah, go. 
I think that they're just shooting these people into black holes, hoping for the best and like giving them funding to do a research mission that they're not going to like see the results of, but the data is going to be extracted or something later, maybe even though they've lost contact with earth and maybe never had it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't like follow that. I mean, if you want to just say like, here's a post capitalist fatalist situation to consider. Okay. I think that is what's happening. But there's like that lack of hope, I think, that maybe makes this movie kind of oppressively dark. Yeah. And then there's also the sexuality to it where we can get to the, we can, let's open that, the door to the fuck box. Sure. Don't go into the fuck box unless you want to fuck. That is rule number one. Is it a party down reference? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, man. But I think that like it's, uh, and interesting and late it, as for a dark oppressive movie i think trying to still find the pulse of like some humanity is interesting i also like the sleight of hand can i tell you my can i tell you my my theory of this movie Please. so they find ship number six which is the, do- the dog ship i, guess I think it, it was upside six. down when it came out. i don't think it was it didn't have that little line it like, didn't have on, a line uh, underneath uno it. cards it didn't um <laughs> <laughs> it was either six or nine there's ship seven, whatever. Lucky number seven. Seven, eight, nine. That idea that there is a dog ship introduces the concept of like, so they're the human ship. But then late in the movie when they're kind of taking out the walls panel by panel and the walls are water, I think I think ship number seven is the plant ship. I think that's the sleight of hand of the whole movie is like... Oh, they're this just there for the plants. Yeah. Um, that's it, sort of like moon with plants. I think so. Interesting. I think that's what makes the movie a lot more interesting to I me. didn't quite reconcile the water walls until right now. I think that's what's... Ha- I think they're gardeners. I think they're caretakers. They're a caretaking generation. Yeah, interesting. Um, which I like. And I really also do like the... But I don't think it is a... Um, a movie without humanity. I think it then becomes really interesting to see how Robert raises this baby, or what's his name, Monty. Monty raises his daughter when she is, uh, you know, like a preteen or a young teenager. And what does life and death and cruelty like? And other people, he, he you know, he becomes, you know, you euf- like almost blindly euphoric about the possibility of there being other people on the ship. And she's like, we don't need other people because she doesn't know. And at the end, they probably go to their death. And that's his... I mean, the movie ends. That's what his being a father is? Because, like, what does she know of life and death? Yeah. I think its challenges are are deeply felt by me, especially on time number two. Interesting. But talk about the fuck box, or argue with me. Oh. Well, I'll argue with you first. (laughs) I mean, maybe there is some hope to them saying, like coming to the conclusion i think the daughter comes to the conclusion that being on this plane of existence is just like pretty bad and like their only hope is to go through the black hole and they're not going to find it on the dog ship even if they found other people yeah like they don't need other people they need a new whatever they need choice yeah they need some choice to make um so that's sort of interesting so this movie renders a world in which all these space prisons have a fuck box. This one. Well, I don't, we don't know about the other ones. You think the dog one has a fuck box? Do you think there were at one point people on the dog box? Probably some. So the dogs killed the people. I think that people were probably still fucking before they were killed in the <laughs> fuck box. 
But the fuck box is sick. It's got like the, it's equipped with that chair from Burn After Reading. Yeah. And then it like has a one of those like flippy things from a car wash in it. So when you're done like giving it to yourself on the fuck chair in the fuck box, a like a car wash it, it like sanitizes itself. And then, like, the white, watery stuff comes out of this drainage pipe to truly, like, shame you when you're walking out of the fuck box. And then if someone's waiting, they can see, like, the mess that you've rendered. Or to assure them that it will be clean in a few moments. Maybe that's the... Is that the purpose of having the drainage, like, right in the exit of the fuck box? Yeah, you know it's disinfected. That's disgusting. Why couldn't it have an internal drainage system? I, it's a, you know, it is a loud and insane scene in which Julia Binoche rides that yeah. steel dildo or whatever it is. Right. Um, and God, or in a movie, uh, you know, light on expensive sci-fi, her hair is kind of the special effect of the movie. I think, yeah, that does the heavy lifting of the, of the sci-fi. I just like the idea that um, whatever this experiment is like it's clearly also like inextricable from sick pleasure which oh, yeah. and then i think one of the kind of braver things about the movie um is seeing however briefly robert pattinson trying to be a good dad on what was just like a fucking torture and sex ship like the suggestion the suggestion of incest is so like thick in the air late in the movie for both him and I think you like as well, this... that's, I mean, that's the importance of those lines where he's like, we don't eat our own shit. We don't drink our own piss. Yes. It's what we call a taboo. Right. And of course he's talking about like, don't fuck the baby. Right. Um, that's a taboo. That's right. That's so interesting. I'm putting that together now. Maybe this movie is just a lot. Shit sm- in this movie, man. Maybe this movie's just smarter than I am. I just, I don't, you know, don't get down on yourself. I it was always, first thing in the morning. I always plan to watch it again, and I, I'm telling you that I feel a lot higher. My life's a lot higher on time number two. I guess my, my questions about the depth of it um, have been somewhat rendered uh, resolved with the questions that I'm, you should just I'm intrigued by. Try burying yourself in the dirt like the great French character actor André Benjamin. Yeah, André 3000 <laughs> is in this movie, which is pretty cool. In a little bit of a... I don't know. I wouldn't say he's he gets a lot to chew on. No. It's a bit part. Right. He gets to talk more than a lot of the people. I really... I like Mia Goth in sure. an insane and upsetting performance as Boise or whatever her... Yeah, whatever her name is. But yeah, it's definitely not the same kind of tickle, space tickle as <laughs> Ad Astra or Interstellar. Well, I mean, it depends what your fuckbox setting is. You get a little tickle in there. Oh my god. Come on. Never I turn Never news. turn the dial of the fuckbox to tickle. Um I think that it would be almost too easy to call it good bad and i'm gonna call it good good i think i agree with you i think it is good good i think it has a lot of tantalizing questions that maybe i'll i'll tackle next time i watch it this was a this was a good nice yeah i like looking into your eyes like once every 25 times i win you over on something yeah me too i like seeing the warmth on your face that i don't get usually on a cell phone screen when you've convinced me of something brought on only by righteousness 
Right. <laughs> um, and I also feel like this one made me think more of my dad, if I'm being honest. Sort of like a guy who maybe wasn't emotionally equipped to have children uh, does his best. Yeah. Which is nothing. My my dad would never go to Neptune to, and then blow up the entire universe. Mm-hmm. He would probably, you know, just beg me to stop crying. Because he's re- human, too. Because he's human, too, and then return to his books on the Great War. You're talking about Interstellar? I would love that. All right. In late coop. Yeah, we had a flag. It's an Indian surveillance drone. Solar cells power an entire farm. What'd you do, Murph? Uh, she didn't do nothing. Murphy's law. You're a well-educated man, Coop. And a trained pilot. And an engineer. The world doesn't need any more engineers. We didn't run out of planes and television sets. We ran out of food. Dad, why did you need me after something that's bad? Oh, we didn't. Murphy's law. Murphy's law doesn't mean that something bad will happen. It means that whatever can happen will happen. We must confront the reality that nothing in our solar system can help us. Now you need to tell me what your plan is to save the world. Interstellar, of course, 2014. The second to last Christopher Nolan movie? Yeah, that's right. Right before uh, Dunkirk. Um, It is the longest of the three. It is the entry of today's trio that tries to explain itself the most. Yeah, definitely the most ambitious, I would say, of the three. Yes. Um, It is a movie that is great for talking out the things you love and the misgivings you have about Christopher Nolan. Sure. Uh, it's definitely the most Christopher Nolan-y movie so far. Of all his movies? I think of so far, it's the most like indulgent of his Christopher Nolanisms. What if my ideas are not good, but great? <laughs> <laughs> Matthew McConaughey plays Coot, who was trained as a NASA pilot, but in a world where the need for NASA and it seems like machines in general uh, waned in light of a global food crisis. In a world we still don't know very much about. We'll unpack that more in a second. But this right. movie does take some swings to try to tell us what's going on. Uh, and McConaughey lives on this farm growing corn, the last crop that can be grown on Earth, with uh, his father-in-law, John Lithgow, and his two kids, Tom and Murph. Um one of whom is played by Timothy Chalamet. I don't know the. I'd forgotten that the too. little girl's actor's name. Oh, but yeah. Jessica Chastain is is uh, whom she ages into. Um, so, but yeah, they, of course, in cyclical, mysterious Christopher Nolan fashion, and just go watch Interstellar if you don't want to hear. His- <laughs> Uh, spoilers are always such a silly thing. Why would you listen to this if you didn't want to know? If you haven't what seen the movie in Interstellar, um, you get that thing where you get a just a beautiful shot of this dusty bookcase in the beginning and uh, some a lunar lander, and uh, the girl Murph believes that there's a ghost in her bookshelf. You know, pressing things off the shelf in certain patterns to talk to her. And Matthew McConaughey's like, no, Murph, that's not real. Or you can send me, or give me your scientific hypothesis for why it's happening. And basically, we can discuss this more detail later. But the 
the ghost is pushing books off the shelf to give them coordinates, which ends up being NASA, which is secretly run by Michael Caine and Anne Hathaway in this world where they don't think that taxpayers would approve of, of NASA existing. Um, and there's a plan A and a plan B here, too, because the Earth is just straight up dying to either launch the whole of this building containing a mass evacuation of Earth's population to a planet that can support life or just uh, send in some Jurassic Park embryos up there to to start life anew. Um, but really a similar concept in terms of Ad Astra because uh, people have gone out before, a decade before, um, the Lazarus missions. Uh, Not to be confused with the Lima Project. No, although easily confusable. <laughs> <laughs> um, through a wormhole around Saturn to find other planets. Um, and they're still getting a couple pings back from a few people. So they're like, time for you to use your skills, Coop. Get out there with Anne Hathaway and Wes Bentley. And uh, don't worry that your daughter's so sad. He promises he'll come back. And then we're in we're interstellar. Indeed. Then we are, we're off to look for these viable worlds. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about the worlds, just the setups of this movie. Break it down a little bit. Um, so Christopher Nolan seems to believe that climate change will, in fact, destroy our military industrial complex and have us go down the path of being total Luddites or something, where basic computers and stuff like run the automation in our world, but otherwise we return to like what the country looked like during the Dust Bowl. Yeah. Which are sort of loosely affiliated counties and things. But that we've rejected them. There's a curious relationship between the notion of like what an authoritarian state would make us do and make people think, but also the lack of armies. But there's still a tax system you pay into and still a government, but there's no standing armies, they say. They're just these decommissioned square robots that somehow help us or keep us in check or did or something. Tars. Tars and the other one. Um, And yeah, so there's this public school that's like just teaching them all basic like farming skills, I think. And like only a few people go to college to become engineers or technical jobs. Everyone else just has to make food for the planet, which is struggling to make enough food for everyone. So now they're like putting away corn drink and corn meal and everything's corn. It looks Mm -hmm. like you joke chance. It looks like the end of um, secret window. where It's just like got corn everywhere. Another year of corn from the steaming bowl. Indeed. Um, But we've also like given up on entertainment and like um, the American obsession with, sort of exceptionalism the idea that there's a scene where there's a parent teacher conference between matthew mcconaughey uh, and a teacher and an administrator of some kind and they like like oh your daughter brought in the old textbook that said the apollo missions actually happened and this you know now we're teaching the truth which is that that was just uh, elaborate propaganda to bankrupt the soviet union and end the cold war um but I don't get that. Like, I don't get why the future of America would have people believe anything but... I mean, if we've seen anything in the past several years, it's that the prevailing sentiment is that, like, America can do no wrong. America is great. And, like, that's what's, what's terrifying and what's going to lead to our ruin, I feel like. Not the, not the other way around. I'm with you. And I think the movie, even uh, five years later 
just has a really weird relationship of like the the idea of like we were never meant to stay on this planet we were meant to leave it right is uh an interesting and potentially viable movie concept and yet when you hear about people like elon musk and jeff bezos investing in like space travel, going to space yeah. nothing could be more insidious and more right because this is almost like if we were just like ah let's let the rich people do what they want to do there's no real conversation either in this movie about like did everybody get to leave the planet this movie just falls into a very weird like disjunction between humans are capable of anything right because love is the most powerful force in the universe but also appealing to this idea of like earth is naturally selective enough that it just rejects us and that's faded and that's okay and it's like where is the weird thing that we reckon with every single day in the middle of like we're at fault everything we do is incrementally at fault but yeah i just so i guess what i'm getting at in this movie is for me for these movies to work you need that sense of urgency that sent these people into these weird expensive research missions and for this one, I think getting there is so contrived and unrealistic that the greater bargain that Matthew McConaughey makes to like do his thing just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. That people are going to save people, even though people don't behave anything like people do in reality in this movie. If you're going to love this movie, you're... You believe in love. You're going to use the phrase sense of wonder in your podcast review unironically. Don't go to the Matt Damon planet, for God's <laughs> sake. Haven't you seen The Martian? That's a very good part in Act 2 of Interstellar, is the Matt Damon part. Um, especially because there is this moment where they choose between going to Dr. Mann, who is like the leader, the the prestigious, you know, emboldened and infused with all the white male privilege of the John Glenn archetype. God. Um, and then he's trying to figure out if Dr. Edmonds, who we never see in the movie, uh, is he with the Anne Hathaway character with Dr. Brand? Um, and they ultimately decide like, well, you're not being impartial because you love this guy. I'm being extremely impartial because this guy's white. Believe in yeah. people who look and sound like me, right? Um, which I think the movie knows and ends up biting the mo- them in the fucking ass. It does. The is- movie knows it, and I think there's a a lot of wit in this movie, especially with his like monologue being cut up as he explodes the side of the, the space station. He does his like one small step. Right. And gets annihilated after one small. <laughs> well, he does his The Horror of the Horror speech. Right. And then halfway through, he gets cheesed. Yeah. Which is sort of satisfying. This movie has some good tricks up its sleeve. I don't... Th- I'm not accusing this movie of not being... The Wave Planet. The 21-year oh Wave the Planet fucking is wave unbelievable. Planet. The Wave Planet's pretty cool. It's pretty great. Yeah. A lot of the movie hangs in how much of Matthew McConaughey you're willing to put up with. Because very unlike Robert... I mean... It's the the movie star resonance is playing on are very comparable to Robert Pattinson and Brad Pitt, but Matthew McConaughey is so distracting by comparison. He's so much closer to Nicolas Cage when even in a good movie, the movie it has to bend to the thing he is doing because it is so specific. Whereas Brad Pitt and Robert Pattinson kind of relieve themselves of their personas and like sink into someone else's vision matthew mcconaughey is like right at the front of the every single time he like bring talks about a scientific concept he seems like he's flirting with it oh yeah we even like sitting down with his daughter at breakfast and he's like murph you gotta 
it come up with a hypothesis and present your findings. <laughs> and it's just like, are you are you flirting with your daughter, Matthew? Or are you flirting with science? Yeah, or what are you flirting with? What are you trying just, to charm? He just all he cannot help but purr. I'm gonna sit down really easy in the middle of a We're gonna bang shot off this uh this yeah, the black hole and go back through it and I mean it's very much like him talking out like the fire right now, we're gonna die and U five seven one kind of like I'm gonna charm you into believing that my plan's gonna work and like all these top all these top men listening to him in the you know yeah. the main social deck are like, Yeah, it sounds right. So it's kind of perfect, but he's also kind of like knocking on the ceiling of self-parody of the Lincoln commercials, which oh, are going to sure. come. This is like the, um, this is the blank check of the reconnaissance. Like the fact <laughs> that he did this and time as a flat circle is hilarious. Yep. Because like that's just him purring about elliptical time in multiple yeah. self-serious pieces of, <laughs> of art. I, I think we can't stop without talking about like what we what do we feel about the ultimate thrust of the movie about the dimension that they quote unquote had previously built for to them to find so he could press the books out of the case time is a flat circle so he can find NASA in the first place and come back and get in the new dimension. Does that work for you? No, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I think that, and there's yeah. so much, the robot, the t- it's not TARS, but the other one is like, t- or it is TARS. It is TARS. TARS is shooting through the black hole and is explaining to him, I don't think it's an exaggeration to be like, Coop, what you're in now is a... a it's a 3D rendering. A of 3D a... rendering of like another dimension where people are and you can actually like go to different rooms. Like there's so much talking Christopher Nolan has this temptation, I think, because of the fact that he is... Well, he tackles a big enough and audience-pleasing enough topic. He'll give you all the things you need from a movie like this. But, like, sometimes getting all those things in this, like, kind of hokey order and then, like, having a statement about greater human consciousness and the fact that, like, we can save us all or whatever. Yeah, he's too cognizant of the fact that... Uh, people are about to make ending of Interstellar explained videos. Yes. And he's like, no, 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 I'll do that for you. <laughs> yeah, don't you worry about that. It's like, but the fact that you want to do that for us is only going to make your thing seem more ridiculous. Just pull your foot off the gas pedal right. and accept some ambiguity. It almost feels like he's upset by people arguing ad nauseum. About Interstellar. About, no, about Inception. Oh, that's what I meant to say. About the, the whether the top yeah. flutters or whatever in, Inter- exactly. or in uh, Inception. That this one's like, nope, it's exactly like this. The thing didn't fucking flutter. It's yes. still in a dream or whatever his point was. Right. The five minutes of Tars explaining where he is. Right, exactly. Because otherwise we are in our feeble minds. We wouldn't be able to understand my movies are causing too much conversation (laughs) (laughs) talk about my movies less (laughs) sometimes it's frustrating when how easy the pieces fit together with a christopher nolan movie when they don't when they ultimately like don't really but he has to make everything like oh the guy that she's in love with is the one whose plan is working and you know oh of course it was him as the ghost talking to his daughter and then he meets his daughter who's now older than her thing and like they're in a circle because, like, that's how you explain gravity or something. I feel like one of the the jokes we kept coming back to um, 
was uh, interdimensional Hollywood sexism. Because <laughs> McConaughey says, Murph, when I come back, I might even be the same age. Is he might even be the same age. And of course, Murph, that was like him being a stupid dad. Right. Um, that was like the scene you didn't see from High Life where he's like trying to walk the baby and he's like, okay, you got it. And the baby just like falls on its face. He's trying to convince <laughs> Murph that everything's going to be okay and then accidentally lets slip. He might not be back for 20 years. But then... Jessica Chastain sends a hologram message. Right. And she's like, like, I'm your age now. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're like 33 and McConaughey's definitely 48. Yeah, he's 15 years on her when she's allegedly his age at the beginning of the movie. And of course, he looks stunning throughout he the looks entire... looks great. Yeah. I mean, malnourished, but great. Oh, yeah. He definitely looks like he just made... Um... What's Dallas Buyers Club. Dallas Buyers Club. Year, yeah. And, and True Detective. It's all right in that span of like... I haven't eaten anything and so I have galaxy brain. <laughs> yeah. That's what this movie is. Space dimension. It is a three at well but you know like the galaxy brain meme. Oh where, sure. Where like the brain lights up. That's what this that's what this movie is. Kind of, yeah. It's like, oh it's gravity is like the brain partially or it's time is the brain partially lit. It's gravity the brain lights up more. It's love is the galaxy brain. Got it. Yeah. What about the you wanna do the Matthew's gotta touch stuff thing? Oh, yeah. He loves to field. I've been watching a lot of Matthew McConaughey movies recently, and I've noticed that one of his go-to moves is he'll, like, run his hand along a surface and then, like, feel the surface's residue on his fingers. Yeah. And it, Chance made a good point while we were watching this. It's like, it looks like he's on ecstasy because he's, like, touching everything. Just a low dose. Just a low All dose. Just he's microdosing with ecstasy. And right. it's just, like, he can't not touch everything and, like, then feel how his hand feels having touched that thing. Which is very consistent with his, like, I also must flirt with, like, language and services. Right. Beakers yeah. and women alike. Right. That's a really cool sequence, though, when they're, like, the thing is in a spin because of Matt Damon fucking everything up. And then he, like, lines up the spin. It's, like, brilliant. It's also a brilliant, like, filmmaking problem that they, like, solved. Absolutely. That's what I like about these space movies, and I think the better ones... I know you were teasing me yesterday on the subway when I was like, Ed Astro didn't have enough science. Um, but I kind of like that's a perk to me is the Apollo 13 of it all in space movies of like there has to be some portion of it that's them figuring out like space riddles mm-hmm. and like figuring out quantum mechanics on the fly. And this and this one, I think, has the best if far fetched version of that, though, apparently all these scientists were uh, consultant on the making of this movie. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, I was teasing you because, I mean, I think a movie like Ad Astra is like, what's the point? But yeah. also, like, uh, convincing Technobabble is, like, we watch movies like this to see them solve problems that don't exist. Exactly. Yeah, I'm with you. You're right. Um, I like this movie. I like, I think I like, if I should sweep broadly, I think I like all Chris Nolan movies. I think I like them all. Um, sure. I just think he's very easy to make fun of because of how self-serious it is. He's very self-serious. And how, um, on, in the one hand, like Dark Knight is a perfect movie. And then on the other hand, you're like, so what, but let's, let's consider that surveillance technology for a moment. And the whole thing falls apart. Or let's consider, uh, how the choice about the people on the ferry, like, there's just not a lot of, uh, intellectual undergirding that works no well outside he, like, of the thinks movie. of himself as this like high philosopher man i think but ultimately he's just kind of a libertarian um i don't know about libertarian those people accuse him sometimes of being an unwitting fascist that's the thing Maybe. from the dark knight yeah it's like oh only <laughs> a power an unwitting f- an only a pa- i believe that was part of a 
Kozel proposal upon the release of Dunkirk yeah, yeah, yeah. a few years ago. Yeah. You know what this movie really made me think about is why won't he direct a movie that's written by someone else? Yeah. He really should. Maybe a comedy? <laughs> Improvisational comedy? He would be the directorial equivalent of Liam Neeson wanting to do comedy. Yeah, having him go into Warner's and be just like, I would like to direct a comedy? Yeah. Let's do the Trading Places reboot. No. <laughs> <laughs> There's three parallel timelines. Um, the thing is that you think the whole time they've traded places. And in actually, fact, they're dead. <laughs> they were dead and swapped at birth, and no, I will not choose between those options. They're intergalactic travelers. Right. Um, yeah, that'd be pretty funny. Yeah. He would never do that, though. He's, He's a very... such a good director and such an okay writer. Right. This movie's more E.T. than... 2001 a space it actually i think that's right it sneakily is but yeah. he but he thinks it's 2001 right but 2001 is so ambiguous there are so many ways to interpret right that movie i he doesn't there's what room for interpretation is there in this there's movie? none it's just this thing happened and humans are going to save humans in the past so right. don't worry about climate change everything's <laughs> fine it's a chinese hoax anyway and for that we rate interstellar it's a good good <laughs> No, I think it actually is a good good though. I, I think, think I'm just it reading in. I think I'm just reading it too politically. Like I need to not take Tamp movies it down a little bit as like our future and just like enjoy them as entertainment because it is well made and McConaughey has so much charisma. But to be fair, he got a little in our faces about the fact that it was the future. Well, the that's first yeah, act, kind of prompts that of you i'm dumb enough to believe that like this is the future but smart enough to like if i look at it be troubled by it <laughs> do i think it's good good yes it's good good it's good good damn it it is i good, think good. all of these movies are pretty good i even think like Ad- i'm gonna watch ad astra did you initially before i closed the space hatch say that ad astra was bad bad and now you've crawled all the way back to <laughs> actually it's a good good <laughs> I am just clinging to the outside of the ship. This has been another episode of Be Real in Person. What is this, like 137 of these? We've only had the pleasure of doing, I think, six or seven in person. And what a joy it always is, man. Yeah. Aren't you excited to eventually find out that it was us listening to us all along? And only us. Buddy, it's been so great to host you here in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I don't know when the next time I'll get to behold you is, but... It's it's too far away for, for my liking. Mm. And I'll have, however, this podcast recording to listen to, uh, to feel as though you're closer. Satellite of love.